My name is Michael Strumsky, and this is my podcast, People More Interesting Than Me. Each episode, I'll interview a person with a different background to try to understand what circumstances, family, or tragedy has made them into the individual they are today. Enjoy. Today I have with me Kara Piles, my second interview. Um, thank you for agreeing to do this. I really appreciate it. Start me off with where you started in life, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so I I was born in um, Norfolk, Virginia and lived in Chesapeake until I was about five, five or six. And that is when my dad uprooted us and moved us um, to Iceland. And so we lived there for about two and a half years. And then we moved again and we kind of followed that pattern um, for the rest of my childhood. So we moved every couple of years. Um, we moved back to the United States after Iceland and we lived there for about two and a half years and then moved to back to Virginia. Um, so a little bit closer to where I was born. I'm not sure I would call it home because I haven't lived there since I was five, but um, we lived in Northern Virginia and then moved again when I was in high school to Singapore, which was um, our final move, uh, our final move, you know, while I was a kid. And then I moved back to the United States for college. So that's kind of a, a broad overview of my background um, and, and where I grew up. And obviously now I settled in Virginia for now. We'll see. Question later on then, because I know your husband is very uh, Virginia centered. So that sounds yes. like that might be a difficult conversation with him. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think, um, and, you know, probably good that we married each other. We're both, yeah, he's, you know, has a very rooted uh, childhood, grew up in the same place, the same house his entire life. And I have absolutely no idea what that would be like to live down the street from your elementary school or to have childhood friends who I've known since I was born or since I was in kindergarten and still have contact with them. So, and I have this very different background. So um, there's definitely some give and take, but I think we help each other grow in that way. And he makes me more rooted and I kind of push him out of his comfort zone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's very true. I know Ryan and he's very, uh, I guess, family centered, community mm -hmm. center, which isn't a which bad is great. thing. It's yeah. just, you get in a routine. Not that I'm yeah. much different, to be fair. I only moved like 30 minutes away from where I'm from. But so you said your your dad's job, your dad started off as like a special agent with NCIS. That's correct? Yeah. Yeah. So he was a special agent with NCIS. He was in the fields mostly when I was a kid. It wasn't until I was older when he got into more of a supervisory role. So he, um, yeah, he would be working cases. He worked really long hours, but what was always really around for us, which I think um, really stood out to me. Um, I think a lot of families who grow up with parents who are special agents sometimes um, 
you know, they miss out on that time, that family time. And he was never like that. He had to go off and, you know, be on a Navy ship for months at a time, leaving my mom with uh, twins at home, which was always hard. But, but yeah, he was, he was a special agent for my entire childhood. And he, he was very open about his career and what that meant for us as a family, sometimes the safety concerns with it as well. But, you know, we never really, I don't know, it just, it just seemed normal to us at the time. It never really dawned on me that my dad was, I don't know, a special agent or that that meant anything yeah. weird or different than any other family. Anybody's not familiar. I mean, besides the the hit TV show, it's kind of yeah. like a, uh, I wouldn't, I guess maybe like an FBI of the Navy, like they investigate all any crimes that take place on, I guess, Navy property or Navy personnel. Is that yeah. kind of? Yeah. So before the show, nobody, you know, nobody knew what NCIS was. So he was always having to explain it. And then after the show, I think people just had a, a distorted sense of what it was, but it was at least more, you know, it was at least helpful. Uh, so they could have a, a starting point. But yeah, any any crime that is committed on um a Navy base or by or potentially like the victim is Navy or Marine or, you know, the perpetrator potentially, he actually also did a lot of like counterterrorism work with that. And yeah, it really is a little bit more far reaching than you would think. They were very busy and there's a lot of, you know, moving parts with that. So, so yeah, that's kind of a, a good overview. But I, I would just imagine, and maybe this is based off of like the TV shows and all these different shows where and I watch too much TV, so that's why I'm probably saying this. But um, usually people in those like high up roles like that work kind of overtakes them. But you're saying in this respect, it was kind of like not as much. I mean, you guys are in a different country for most of this time. I guess you kind of cling to one another. What, what was the atmosphere like in these different countries? So it, you know, I think overseas, you know, when we first moved overseas, you're clinging to anything that is comfortable. It's, you know, it's completely different. I think, you know, you go visit a place for a week and you still get these kind of bouts of being uncomfortable, not knowing the customs, not knowing even like when you walk into a restaurant, what you're supposed to do. And so just imagine that except for months and months on end. And so I think you cling to anything that is stable. And so a big piece of that is your family. And I think we definitely, as a family, it became really close when we, we were already really close, but I think it got even stronger when we moved overseas. And I think the environment of, you're just kind of out of your element at all times. And I think we always had this rule of give it, give a place six months. And after that six month mark, it started to get more comfortable you you got it more into a groove of what to do what what to avoid like what customs you know um to not say in that um environment like in particular for iceland scandinavian culture is obviously very different and for instance we went to a dod school but we would have field trips where we went to icelandic schools and they follow more of a i would say lenient structure and there's not really much structure, but especially in the younger grades. And so kids were just 
running around the room. They didn't have assigned seats. And we were, you know, we were these American kids visiting and we were just lined up in a line and we had very set rules. And so just kind of trying to marry that was interesting. And I think you, you do kind of get used to being out of your comfort zone and adapting to that environment and trying to figure out what's the difference and how do I adapt to this difference and how do I kind of not stick out like a sore thumb? I think you learn that from a young age, but I think growing up, you know, moving to a new country, it is, it's very jarring. I think you do cling to anything you can control, anything that you can, that comforts you. And I think that because of that, and I think my parents realized that, I think they were really good about understanding that this was going to be a really big change for us and trying to create some sort of sense of stability as much as possible. But I think it, you know, it was a really amazing experience because we got to see that, yes, people do things differently in other countries, you know, but from a really young age, from the age of six, people do things differently, but it doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means that it's different. It's, you know, it's come just like that was comfortable for those kids not having any structure in the classroom. And they looked at us like we were really strange for, you know, not sitting down, not being, not doing our own thing. I think you learn that people, you know, they're products of their environment and you can't really make, you can't judge people, you know, based on that. If I was born in Iceland, then I would be the same way, you know, and I think you see that and it kind of shapes how you view things for sure. I don't know if that answered your question. No, 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 it definitely did. (laughs) But like how, I mean, how old were you when you guys, when you first left you and your brother? Yeah, we were, I think we were five if I'm, or we had just turned six. Everything was brand new. This was just something that was brand new. But I guess after your first leg and you came back, what was that like when you had to kind of readjust? Yeah, that was, I think that was probably the hardest move for us. I think moving from Iceland to Pensacola, which was already really jarring because you go from really cold weather to really warm weather. I remember me and my brother, it was 50 degrees and we were wearing tank tops and, you know, in Florida, they're wearing mittens and scarves and and hats and they think we're crazy. We think, you know, they're being ridiculous. So, but I think that was probably the hardest move for us. I think we're, you know, we think of ourselves as Americans. We were born in America. So clearly we are, but then we move back to the United States, our home country. And I don't think we felt at home at all. I think we missed, we really loved Iceland. We missed it terribly. We missed our friends. We missed our school. We missed Iceland. And then when we tried to talk about these things with, you know, new people in Florida, They just did not understand, did not want to talk about it with us. And so I think that was probably the hardest move for us. It it's weird to feel not at home in what everyone is telling you is your home country. And I think from a young age, you kind of have to figure out what that means for you and for your identity and for your family. I think that was probably pretty hard on us, but then you get used to it and you kind of keep moving on. Yeah. Before, before ever doing the research, I didn't really know much. Like, I mean, I had met a couple of military brats whose parents had moved around with the air force or Marines and stuff like that. But obviously 
people have done research and stuff like that. And from, I guess, some of my research, I found some fascinating stuff. Like I'm big into people who are multitaskers or skilled on different levels, but this is kind of like, I got an emotional like skill set. Um, like they use words like social chameleon, nomad, stuff like that. For example, when I first met you, I always thought you were quiet or I, I think other people are quiet, but I guess in the last like five or 10 years, it's not that people are quiet. I think of it kind of like a, a TV. They're playing something. You just can't hear what they're, they're saying or doing. It's, I think in your opinion, you're more calculated because you're good at analyzing the situation because you've been in so many different areas, kind of see where you can fit in into the conversation, mm -hmm. which friends you would kind of click with. You're more calculated, if that makes sense, rather than um, just jumping into a conversation like some crazy people that I know, me. But uh, that's what I, I kind of read from, um, I guess, the information and the research I was looking at. Is that kind of something that sounds familiar or am I BSing? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think you learn when you're put into so many different social situations at a young age and you're forced to kind of lose friends, make friends constantly. I think that you do at a certain point just learn to not, and it sounds weird, but to not just like immediately be yourself. I think, and there's, I think there's hard parts about that. I think you kind of assess the situation and then you figure out what parts of yourself will resonate with these people and what parts you probably, you know, won't resonate. Like I, I don't feel like I can really talk about my childhood or traveling a lot with certain people because it might come off the wrong way. Or there are other people who I feel like, you know, might be more interested in that. So I can mention it without it seeming strange. So I feel like you just kind of figure out what parts of yourself you can share with people. And I, I do think that people might have the thought that people who are military brats or who have been put into these different social scenarios constantly their entire life are really uh, extroverted and outgoing and are constantly, you know, just really great at social interactions with everybody. And I just, I don't think that, and I think it depends on your personality, but of course, but I think, you know, I am definitely an introverted person. And so, but the way that it manifests for me is that, yeah, I think I kind of read the room first and then I kind of go from there. I think we can be military brats, people who've moved around a lot can definitely be very adaptable to different social situations. And I think there's a lot of positives to that. But I think there's also, you know, the flip side that sometimes you can feel like you lose yourself a little bit in certain social interactions. I think what part of me is adapting to the situation and what part of me is, you know, being my true self. And, you know, I think sometimes it, the lines get a little bit blurred because you're so used to adapting so, to survive, to have friends, to not be, you know, <laughs> miserable as a child and alone. And I think it's really important as a kid who moves around to just, you know, remember to not lose yourself in that and to not just adapt, 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 and then forget exactly what is what is true? What is, you know, your value? What is your personality? And what is you trying to just to be resilient to the situation? Mm -hmm. And 
around this time, this was kind of like internet wasn't really big. So basically you couldn't really, I mean, I mean, I could be wrong, but you couldn't really keep in contact with these friends, right? I can't even imagine the international type of things you would have to do. Cause I mean, remember, I guess when you were in Pensacola or Virginia, you basically had to scream from the upstairs to the downstairs to get the mm-hmm. phone. Like I, I can just mm-hmm. remember constantly my parents yelling at me to come upstairs to talk. That's especially when we didn't have internet. My question is if you ever felt like your life was being controlled, not even by your parents, but like in external circumstances where your friends and your family and basically your routine and your life, your community could just be pulled away at any moment, you know, for like a stationing in a different country. Yeah, I think you definitely go through a phase perhaps where there's some anger and frustration towards um, you being moved around constantly and not knowing, you know, there's structure in the way that, you know, you have two to three years at this one place and there's an expiration date on these friends, on this school, on this place that you're living, but then you don't know where you're going to go next. And I think, and you don't know if you're going to be pulled at the last minute or, or moved for whatever reason. And I think that that can be difficult. And I think the way that I know I dealt with it was, yeah, to try to find some sort of stability and control in my life that I could, and that could be hard. I I think my parents did a really good job of, of trying to create this really like stable environment, but I think it manifested in, in even really small, strange ways. I think like, for instance, when we would move my parents would, you know, we'd unpack, we really, you know, we're great at unpacking towards the end. You kind of get it down to an art and then you just kind of put things where you generally want them to be. You move them into the final place and that's where they stay. But sometimes my mom would want to like rearrange the furniture or change things up. And I was just extremely against that. It just, it drives me crazy. I would get really upset and angry because I thought we're going to have to change it, you know, everything about it in about a year or two or whatever. And uh, why are we changing it? I want it to stay the same as long as we possibly can. So I think there are just little ways that you try to control your life when you can. I think, you know, as human beings, you want, especially as kids, I think children thrive on stability and routine and uh, feeling safe in an environment. And I think that to a certain degree, that's kind of taken away from you every couple of years, but then you just find ways to kind of implement it yourself and um, whether it's strange or not, whether it's moving the furniture or not. But yeah, I think that there definitely was this kind of sense of there is this external thing that has great control on my life, Um, but you kind of get used to it. You know, it was since I was five, that's all I knew. So then when I, there was this sense of when I went to college and it was my choice of where I went to college, it was my choice what I did from then on out, where I moved, where I lived, it was kind of just really jarring in itself. I thought, oh my gosh, this is completely up to me. What in the world do I do? I don't have this external thing telling me, okay, in three years, you're going to do this. And in three years, you're going to do that. I think that was really probably harder for me because I was so used to having that kind of structure. And I then had an entire you know, the whole world open and I had no idea what I wanted to do or where I wanted to be. And I really, for a little while there kind of craved 
you know, the military telling me, okay, in two years, you're going to be moving to this place. So I think it's interesting that sometimes you fight against it. And then once it's gone, you think, oh my gosh, what am I, who am I? What do I actually want without this, you know, all encompassing factor, external factor telling you what, what are you going to do? How old were you when you moved back the last time? So when I moved back to the United States last time, I was 18. So it was after high school. I was going to say, like, if you were, uh, I don't know, 12 or 14, you would have been like, I mean, after the second move, I would imagine you were itching for the next move. But Mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, you studied abroad in college. I did. Yes. I think that was always something that I knew I wanted to do. I'm I moved back to, you know, I lived in Singapore in high school and then I moved back to the United States. And that was also always moving back to the United States after living overseas was just probably the most difficult transition. You just feel completely out of your element again in your in your own home country. And so that's really strange. And I when I moved to and I moved, you know, to Virginia Tech to this rural, small town in Virginia where people didn't even know what. Singapore was or where people thought it was in China or Japan or things like that. So, and some people did not to say that it's a a small town thing, but I think people just could not connect that experience whatsoever. Everyone was from Virginia or the United States. And so they just didn't really know what to, to do with that experience. So I think that was really hard for me. And so I think I clung to anything that was more comfortable for me, which meant that I majored in international studies and I tried to study languages and and knew I wanted to study abroad for the longest time. I thought I wanted to, you know, work overseas again, live overseas again, just because I missed it. I really, I think that was hard for me, but then, you know, six months, a year goes by and you start to get used to your new environment. and, And here I am still in Virginia. So that's what I was going to follow up a curveball question. It was, what made you stay? Yeah, I think, I mean, my husband, Ryan, would probably stay in Virginia longer than I probably would have otherwise. But I think, and even within Virginia, I, it's not like I've stayed in one place. I did live in Stanton for Stanton Harrisonburg area for five years, which was the longest I've ever lived since I was five years old. Um, in one place. Um, and that was also really strange for me. I think. How is that? Because I know the area and it's very like quiet and Mm -hmm. it seems like the exact opposite of what you've kind of, even Virginia tech has its, I mean, everything's Mm -hmm. going on at Virginia tech, but Stanton is a little bit slower. Nothing wrong with that. No. Yeah. I think, you know, it was like, there's a dichotomy. I really appreciated the slow pace of it to a certain extent. Um, But then at the same time, did really crave just a little bit more. I think it is, I, you know, and I did stay there the longest. So there definitely is something I appreciate about that. Uh, But I think that it is hard for people, military brats, people who move around a lot for us to even imagine living in one place for, for the rest of our lives. I think we see, you know, a question about our permanent address and we start to like get hives or something. I think we just, the idea we can really like a place, but then the idea of living there for the rest of our lives is just 
pretty impossible to imagine, not to say that we are not capable of it. And some people I know who I did go to school with, I think they craved that so much that they tried to implement it as soon as they were 18, as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. But I think that uh, for the majority of us, we we start to get that itch a couple years in. And I'm not sure we really know what it's like to live in a place for very long, whether it be a small town or a large city. But I do think we probably feel like we fit in a little bit more in a larger, more multicultural area. I think that probably makes sense. But I think I appreciated the the slower pace of Stanton that the people, I definitely did have to adapt. I, I don't think people really understood my childhood because everyone who lives in Stanton, you know, they're, they're from Stanton, their family's from Stanton, their great grandfather's from Stanton. So I don't think they truly understood my background, but you know, I think that's a lot of places, not just Stanton. Yeah. That's kind of like what we were talking about, I guess, before we started recording is kind of that sense of community, what you were just saying, you've got generations and generations of people and it's just intertwined. Like I was asking, like, if something ever happened to, I guess, your parents while you were overseas, like, like, what was the protocol for that? Like, who would you rely on? Is that like in place or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, really overseas, uh, we felt a greater sense of community probably than we did in the United States sometimes. And I think that was also kind of a product of being NCIS in particular and not uh, technically military. So we overseas too, we, we were living either on or near a military base and we had that community. And I think when you're living overseas too, like I was saying, you, you cling to anything comfortable, any, um, anything that just feels stable and, and like home or whatever that is to you. And I think that we became super close with the people that we met overseas because we didn't have our family near us. And so they became our family. We spent Christmas with them, Thanksgiving with them, every holiday, birthday, you could imagine. We uh, we often just the way that military housing is set up, we lived really close to them, could walk to their house. We're just always together. And so I think we actually felt a greater sense of community overseas than we did back in the United States. So, and in the United States, when we didn't even live near family, like in Florida, that would have probably been a little bit more difficult if something unfortunate had happened. Mm -hmm. Um, We would have had to coordinate with family that was back in Virginia um, and, and try to figure that out. Whereas Iceland, I think we had so many people who would be there for us and who would just step up to the plate and really take care of us. I think we really had a hard time leaving that community. I think it, we searched for it a lot when we moved back to the United States and it, it was a little bit harder to find. So I think that that was kind of interesting that we felt like we, we had that um, belonging a little bit more when we were overseas. And then, I mean, with these two big, huge moves, I mean, your mom must have been like a huge like trooper dealing with all, especially with two five two twins moving overseas to a brand new place and your dad obviously working. Mm -hmm. I I just can't even imagine first off twins, but (laughs) I know, I don't know how they did that. Um, I just, my hats off to them, but yeah, I think she, she really was real, a trooper for, uh, for doing it. And I think 
though, that my parents, they got some negative uh, thoughts about, you know, us moving, uh, about them. You know, you're a parent, you're a new parent. Everybody has an opinion on how you should parent. And I think that they had some negative feedback of, you know, what the effect of moving constantly would be on your children and how that might impact us. And I think my mom really felt strongly that this was a positive thing for our family. She really felt strongly that this would make us, you know, more adaptable, resilient, would be a great experience for us. I think that she really wanted to prove that and really wanted to be positive about it. And so she really embodied that. And I think that she was really supportive of the moves. You know, I think it was still hard for her. She would, and I think what my mom did a good job of was she was very honest when it was hard for her. She didn't try to kind of sweep it under the rug. And I think that was important with whenever you're talking about military brats or, or moving, I think, you know, there's a lot of grief that comes with losing your entire environment and friends all at once and then moving to a new place. And she was very honest about the fact that this was going to be difficult. This was difficult on her. She missed her friends. She missed her life that she had built for the past couple of years, but that we were a family and that we were going to, you know, get through it together. And so I think she really uh, did a good job of kind of acknowledging the negatives, but then coming back to the positives. And I think that was an important lesson for us as we kind of moved each time. I guess with that, do you think with all this travel and seeing different communities and different countries, did that kind of affect where you're at now professional-wise? Like maybe seeing your dad help out, like stopping crime, stuff like that, that you kind of took that aspect or was there another drive towards what you're doing now? Yeah, I think that my dad's career and moving around and, and traveling a lot uh, made me made me. Uh, I really felt like I I knew I wanted to do something where I could help people. I think we you know we visited a lot of different places and you saw people who we're just dealing with really horrific situations. And I think that that definitely made me feel a sense of duty to try to correct that. But I think too, um, a big part of my career was, um, and my specific career, which is very focused um, or kind of nuanced on gender-based violence. I think that was more so a product of my um, losing my roommate in college. I think she was really uh, an advocate for survivors of uh, intimate partner violence and sexual assaults in Virginia, uh, at Virginia Tech. And so she always wanted me to get involved in it. And I always was too busy with my schoolwork. And then she passed away. And so very unexpected, unexpectedly. And so she always wanted me to get involved in it. And I finally did after she passed away. And so that kind of led me to my very specific career of working on gender-based violence. But then I think that married with my background of traveling, seeing my dad and his kind of sense of service uh, throughout my childhood. I think all of those factors led me to feeling like I 
need a career where I feel like I'm doing some good, where I feel like I'm serving others, I think is really important to me. Yeah, I definitely see that. Yeah, I think, no, I think my parents did a good job of really instilling empathy in us. I think sometimes when you travel, you can, you can react in a couple different ways. And I think sometimes when we are confronted with things that are uncomfortable, you know, different cultures, different customs, whatever it may be, that sometimes we can buck against it as human beings because it kind of goes against our own identity, or we can try to be open-minded to it and think, what's the root of this? And really, is it that different from what I'm experiencing or would I be doing the same thing if I were them? So I think my parents really did a good, good job of when we were in these different situations or traveling you know, pointing things out to us and saying, and really encouraging us to have an open mind about it and being okay with being uncomfortable, I guess, was mm-hmm. like a really crucial lesson in our household. And I think that really always resonated with me. Yeah. Cause kind of exactly what you just said lines up with the personality test that I had you take like mm-hmm. a week ago, type one, type ones are conscientious and ethical with a strong sense of right and wrong. They are teachers, crusaders, and advocates for change. So that seems like it kind of lines up with you. I mean, other people, they say that, um, I guess, are like that. Or is obviously, we've got Mahatma Gandhi. We've got uh, Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton, Martha Stewart. Not that I really see oh, wow. Martha Stewart, but I don't know. I don't know her <laughs> life well enough. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure I really deserve to be in the... <laughs> Same group of you don't think you're people. you're good enough as Martha Stewart? Uh, no, I mean, you know, <laughs> you should see my house. So no, I don't think I'm as good as Martha Stewart. But no, um, I think that that's really a great group of people that um, I strive to be like, for sure. Okay. I don't think I quite meet that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, as long as, I mean, you're driving towards something that I guess your core beliefs, I mean, if you don't have something mm-hmm. to believe in, what you're doing doesn't really make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just to wrap it up, one question I like to ask last time, what is something that your parents did you like to pass on to your children? And what is something that you are trying to avoid with what they did? Not saying it was bad, but maybe something that you kind of want to, I don't know, avoid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that my parents uh, really, you know, jumping off the last couple of points, I think they were such empathetic people, no matter where we were, I think they always demonstrated that it was really important to not just gloss over other people and to really help them out. They would always, I have a lot of memories of them just randomly picking up the bill for people like in front of the grocery store line from us who seemed to be struggling or helping people like load things into their car, whatever small or big thing it was. I think they really always instilled in me a sense of empathy and that we it's important to help others. And I think that is really something I definitely want to pass on to my daughter. But I think on the flip side, my parents just based on, based on the fact that it was, they had a, a lot of trouble having me and my brother in particular and went through a lot of infertility issues. And so I think because of that, they really were very overprotective of us in certain ways. 
and really uh, sheltered us sometimes. I mean, you know, we moved a lot and things like that. So we weren't sheltered in that way, but they could be very overprotective. And I think they would admit that. And I think that as a parent, I really want to, I think it's hard as a parent because you obviously want to protect your kids from everything that could possibly hurt them. But I think there's growth in letting your children fail and letting your kids do things that maybe you aren't particularly comfortable with, but would help them grow. So I think that's something that I really want to also instill as a parent. And I think that that is one thing I would probably try to gravitate away towards. It's really hard though, because we want to be overprotective sometimes, but but I think I I try to think about it and, and stop myself when I feel like I'm being a helicopter parent. No, I totally get that. From what I've seen, and I guess from other people I've talked to, the first generation kind of pushes one way completely. And then the next generation kind of does it the other direction. So it's like a volley between generations. Like, for example, maybe you're overly protective. Your parents were overly protective. So maybe like your children are going to be so like, what? not wild childs, but more, I don't know, open and free. And like, just like you, maybe they're traveling, depending on if you guys move or anything like that overseas or stuff like that. They're going to have a similar background that you did, but not, I guess, a military aspect or a mm-hmm. NCIS background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely uh, love for my children to have some sort of background where they're forced to kind of get out of their comfort zone a little bit and where we travel a lot. I think that's always been really important to me uh, with my background. Um, so I think, I think, you know, some people who grew up like I did are totally against that and just want to stay put and give their children that classic idyllic childhood where you're in one place and you have the same school and the same friends and, and create that sense of stability. But I feel like I see a lot of virtue in offering a lot of different things to my children. So to do that, maybe Ryan, maybe Ryan will listen to this and he'll, this will (laughs) change his mind. (laughs) Ryan's a very open person, thankfully. So yeah, I think, yeah. And we're a team, so we'll figure it out, but, but yeah, I'm excited about, about the future for sure. Well, thank you again very much for helping me out. I really appreciate it. And I learned a lot more about you. I feel like my knowledge of you has totally expanded and mostly (laughs) my knowledge of, I guess, people who I guess were raised different countries back and forth, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, happy, happy to help out um, anytime. So I appreciate it. If you like this week's episode of people more interesting than me, please follow me on Apple podcasts so you won't miss out on more episodes like these. If you think you're interesting enough or have comments or questions, please email me at peoplemoreinterestingthanme at gmail.com. Thanks.